Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with journalist and sports commentator Bradley Walton. I met Brad oh, a couple of years ago now um, when I attended a Cage Warriors mixed martial arts event in London during during lockdown, I think, or, or in one of the sort of gaps in lockdown, and and we was invited along, and and we were, I think me and um, the co-host of my mixed martial arts podcast, um, Blake Harrison, former guest of the show, Blake Harrison, um, were invited to this kind of closed doors uh, event, which was incredible, and uh, and Brad was one of the commentators and. Uh, screw former guest of the show and and, uh, and owner of the Distraction Pieces Network, uh, Screw Pip had uh, long told me that Brad was a, a, a top lad and and he wasn't wrong and uh, and since then uh, Brad's kindly given up his time and, and come on the MMA Fan Podcast and and yeah I mean we talk about this a little bit at the beginning anyway but it was it was really nice to kind of get Brad on to talk about something aside from mixed martial arts and uh, and we have a lovely chat about music and you're going to hear it in a minute because I've got to do some thank yous first. So I want to thank Scroobius Pip because well he's the podfather and he owns the Distraction Pieces Network which this podcast is super proud to be part of. Uh, there's amazing podcasts over there. Go check out the Distraction Pieces Network um, because I think there's must be close to 10 podcasts on there now. Um, and they're wonderful. A complete mixed bag of uh, of pod chats. And yeah, I advise you go check them out. I would like to thank the team at the Blue Murder Club podcast. Uh, it's a true crime podcast and uh, it's wonderful. If you uh, go and check out their back catalogue, you might see a few guests that have been on Off the Beaten Track uh, guesting over there as well. Um, and it's the team over there that produced this podcast. So so big thanks to uh, the team at Blue Murder Club Podcast. The biggest thanks always go to you lot because you continue to support this podcast as we fast approach 500 episodes. That's insane, 500 episodes. I mean, two a week. And uh, and it's it's never anything but a joy. And, uh, and, you know, to put out two podcasts a week is a lot of work, but... Who am I kidding? I get to sit down with people who I, I really respect and I get to talk about the thing that I like talking about the most, which is music. And the fact that you lot listen, well, that's a proper Brucey bonus. So um, big thanks to you for continuing to support this podcast. Now, this is the bit where I guess most people just think, oh, get on with the good bit, uh, get the chat on and, and fast forward this. But don't, because I'm going to ask you, um, I'm going to tell you a few ways in which you can kind of, support the podcast um other than just listening so 
we're on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. So I'd urge you to go over there and um, give us a little follow uh, or a comment or a like. Probably most active on on Instagram and Facebook. Um, and yeah, uh, you can you can go to wherever you listen to the podcast, whatever your listening platform is, whether it's Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Podbean or wherever you get your pods, and just give us a, a follow or a subscribe. And if you can leave a comment, that's amazing. These things like really do help podcasters. Um, one of the other things you can do is go and have a little look. It's totally free to have a look. Um, go over to Patreon. Go over to patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track and while you're over there you can uh, watch a little video um, of my silly face telling you about what you get at Patreon I can tell you now anyway it won't take long but um, it's almost like a sort of crowdfunder support platform uh, and I put up loads of stuff over there and being very aware that this country's on its arse at the moment and we're all skint um, I keep it to 70 pence a month it works at a dollar a month and uh, and sign up for a month at a dollar, and then you can rinse the back catalogue if you want, um, because there's hundreds of episodes over there. But what you also get is I put the videos up, so you can watch off the beaten track each week uh, if you like to watch your podcasts. Um, I also put up little radio shows and mixtapes and things like that, so uh, you can hear me lisping all over your favourite records and uh, and yeah, doing me little radio shows. And there's hundreds in the back catalogue, so you can just go and access them all and uh, and enjoy them. Uh, but what I do once a month as well is I do a little live show, a little online live show where all the Patreons turn up. Um, and we pick a question from a podcast and everybody sort of brings along their their track choices. And, and it's lovely. And it's a really non-judgy thing. It's not like a, uh, everybody's trying to act indie people with these obscure B-sides. It's just a really lovely gang of people that are just kind of talking about records that they loved and, and records that meant something at you know at certain points in their lives and it's just a nice little nice little hit of nostalgia and uh and a nice little chat and you can turn up and and get really involved and and you know talk about what your records are or you can just sit there with your mic off and your camera off if you don't really want to sort of get too involved you just want to watch the show and enjoy it however it works for you um is what i'd encourage uh, and so all of that um, comes in at a dollar. Comes in at a dollar a month. So if you can spare that, like I said at the beginning, just sign up for one month, uh, rinse the back catalogue, and then unsubscribe. Or if you like what you get, it's going to charge you seventy pence a month. And that's at Patreon. P a t r e o n dot com forward slash off the beat and track. There's a link to it in the show notes to this podcast. Also, there's a, a link there to a thing called Buy Me A Coffee. And you can just go over there. And if you just want to go ping and uh, and buy me a coffee, that's amazing. Because I like a coffee. And it uh, keeps me going. Keeps me recording all these podcasts. I've literally got a cup in my hand. There you go. Got a cup in my hand as we speak. Buy us a coffee. Uh, that's in the show notes as well. Um, or just nudge your mate and go, there's a lispy old geezer from Essex that um, chats to amazing people about their lives, and it's called Off The Beat and Track, and uh, you should go and give it a listen. Anyway, your one-stop shop for everything you need to know about the podcast, socials and Patreons and everything, is offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Right, let's get on with it. Please enjoy Off The Beat and Track Podcast with the delightful Bradley Walton. <laughs> It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. You 
me stew with him. We are recording. Bradley Wharton, how are you, mate? I'm very well, thank you, sir. I'm very well indeed. I've been looking forward to this chat for a long time. Good, good. Well, the I old, had a uh, long time listener, first time caller sort well, of this, situation. This is what's lovely because we've met in a very different world. We, we, I have, I have an MMA podcast, um, and I, I met you through um, your your commentary work that you do for for Cage Warriors, and uh, and then you come and guested on the the MMA fan podcast with, with with Blake and I, and then out the blue you post a comment that you you listen to this. So it was like, well, this is a this is a surprise and a lovely surprise. Um, so before we jump into that, I don't know why because you work within uh, you know a commentator in a. Uh, for for a, a mixed martial arts organisation, why that would mean you don't like music? I don't know why I presume that. Um, tell me about uh, a little bit about your relationship with music and how important it's been um, in your life, mate. I I, I love music. I, I'm one of those really cliche people when you say like, "Oh, what kind of music you like?" And I say, oh, "I like a bit of everything." Do you know what I mean? I'm I'm, I'm a bit of a fence sitter in that respect. Um, it's just something that's I always remember being part of life and being a very very young age. Um, my dad had a really cool, uh, like stack stereo system back in the day when I was a yeah. kid. And, uh, that meant that I got his old one in my bedroom. So I had, uh, you know, one of those ones with like the wooden panels yeah. and the, so like in a wooden box, essentially, then you got yep. the tape decks, the equalizer, the radio, yeah. and then the, the LP deck on top. Uh, and then underneath it was a little glass cabinet with records in. Yeah. So whatever my dad would listen to downstairs, that I liked. I'd kind of sneak up into my bedroom and, yeah. and hide it amidst all the, the old crap records that he didn't yeah. want to listen to anymore. Um, I think I had Frank Sidebottom's Timply LP in there at oh, one point. Oh, mate. And, Do you know um, what? First person, first person in 481 episodes to mention Frank Sidebottom. Shout out Frank <laughs> Sidebottom. The greatest music documentary ever ever made was the recent uh frank sidebottom documentary um yeah oh, superb wasn't it oh incredible <laughs> what what an absolute genius and tortured tortured genius um chris Seavey was uh oh yeah i'm glad that we finally got a mention of frank sidebottom on this podcast anyway i digress go on carry on sorry he was he was nicking yeah, so records. I had stuff like that like just it was like my, like my dad's cast off so i had the uh the young ones record as well hole yeah. in my shoe and I, I I don't even know if I liked it or not, but it was just the fact that they were like my kind of first two LPs. And then, like I said, I just started nicking stuff that yeah. he was playing downstairs. And uh, so I had like, yeah, I think Paranoid by Black Sabbath was yeah. one that got into it at a really young age. Um, we, we had a had music homework when I was really young and you had to pick 10 songs and write, is it a happy song or a sad song? Is it a fast song or a slow song? Yeah. You know, that, so that kind of age, not anything particularly musical, just sure. like very very basic stuff and i was going to do like whatever was on top of the pops and my dad was like no i do this black sabbath album so i got 10 out of 10 and uh great taste in music written on my uh written on my homework so Fantastic. was uh was well in there with the music teachers early on but yeah it was, it's, it's just i just have a lot of happy memories based around music I, my my parents had um a little off license when i was a kid and i used to go to like the cash and carriage with my dad uh, constantly there and back in the van a couple of hours drive and there was always music on in the van so just just loads of nice memories of you know being sat with the old man and yeah. listening to pink floyd and whatever prog rock he was into at the time 
Um, and it, it's just kind of never left me. Like, you know, I, I worked as a journalist for many years, so I've sat at home a lot writing. And, you know, if you've got the TV on, it's a distraction. So it's always been records for me yeah. um, in the background. And, and then, of course, the, you know, the job that I do now, um, a big part of that's the presentation. And, mm. you know, you have fighters who walk out to iconic theme tunes, and mm. that's something I always enjoy listening to. Um and we've started with Cage Warriors doing Spotify playlists of all the walkout songs because you constantly get people sort of, you know, tweeting in on social media like, oh, what was such and such a buddy's walkout song? So we do playlists now. So if you've been to an event and you heard a good song that you like, yeah. you, can, you can go back and, and uh, go down the playlist and find it. So, yeah, I, I, I try and involve it whenever I can. Like if you if you read anything that I write on CageWarriors.com, there's an little cheeky music references that I hope at least one person out there will get, but otherwise they're just for my own amusement. <laughs> well, it's, 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 it was, it was going to be something I wanted to sort of talk about was 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 fighters walkout music, and it, it ties in perfectly because obviously it's it is, as they're being introduced into the um, into the arena as they make their walk to the octagon, um, and and so with that in mind, we'll, we'll, we'll pull back onto that in a sec. But I'm going to ask you for track one, which is the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro, please, Brad. I mean, I, I pro should probably put a disclaimer out first because this is a Kiss song. And look, some people like steak tartare, but every now and again, you want a Big Mac, right? And for me, that's that's Kiss in a nutshell. You know, they're not um, they're not writing a song like Stairway to Heaven, but yeah. they just they'll do a big, loud, stupid, feel good rock song. Yeah. And Detroit Rock City for me is the absolutely epitome of of, of a great Kiss song. Um, my I, my first Kiss record that I bought was a really bad one. It was uh, it was called Unmasked, and it was kind of when they were in a bit of a bit of a flux. Like they'd had some of the early band members leave, and the musical direction was a bit messed up. Was this when they kind of quit the makeup as well? It, so this was just before they quit the makeup. So Peter Chris had left. Ace Freely pretty much didn't do anything on the record, and they were the talented musicians of the group, really. Mm. Um, so this album Unmasked, it was very over polished and poppy like they'd had the big hit with i was made for loving you which is mm. essentially sort of a disco song really uh and unmasked they kind of went that over polished over produced poppy style and it just didn't go down well at mm. all uh and i remember I, I i picked the album based on the cover i'd never heard a kiss song before outside I, I was made for loving you and i just got taken by the look and i thought oh man these guys look pretty cool and uh bought bought the album unmasked the cover of it was a comic book which again, like, was really into comic books, so I thought it looked cool. Not a great album, uh, but the the inlay actually had like a little biography thing that sort of said, "Oh, you know, this is generally regarded as one of the musical low points." So I thought, "Well, there must be some good stuff out there," uh, and I convinced my mom to take me back to the record shop and buy me another Kiss record. And she goes, "Right, get the Greatest Hits album and then work back from there." Yeah. So I, I got. I mean, they they knock a Greatest Hits album out every few years, to be honest, Kiss. Mm. Uh, but I got Greatest Kiss, and the first track on it was Detroit Rock City, and I just got it straight away. It, it, the way it starts off, you get the sort of dang a dang a dang a dang with the guitars, yeah, and then yeah. the great drum fill, and it just it reminds me of like a car engine starting over yeah. and then kicking in. And that song for me is just. It's been the start of so many great nights out. Like if I'm getting ready to go out, I'll put that on and I'm like, yeah, I'm in the mood. Or even just doing housework. You know, if you want to put the hoover around and you need yeah. you need a bit of energy, like 
stick Detroit Rock City on. And if you're not bopping around with your Hoover after two minutes, uh, you need to check your pulse, man. I think it's, it's just big, <laughs> cheap, stupid fun, and I love it. Wonderful. Well, look, it's it's impossible not to ask you this. If if you was to find yourself walking into that cage, what would your walkout music be? You I must have that's, thought about this, Brad. Come that, on, that's 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 tough. I'm uh, I'm, I'm probably <laughs> the least dangerous guy in the whole of the mixed martial arts industry. So I've never really uh, thought too much into it. It probably would be something like Kiss, Kiss actually, like maybe uh, maybe God of Thunder or oh, or something like that, or or War Machine. That that's mm. that's a, that's a good that'd be a good walkout tune, nice and sort of brooding and heavy, like yeah. something with the big drums. Yeah, probably something like that. Absolutely, absolutely. What's been the, your your favourite walkout from any organisation, you know, it can, can be Cage Warriors um, or, or, you know, or UFC or, or whatever. Um, has there been any that has just, like, just struck you and, like, literally shook you to the bones? There's been a few over different eras. I mean, if you go kind of, like, way back, I think the first guy to really have a, sort of an iconic walkout was Tito Ortiz. Mm. And it was a very different time. It was when MMA was very much bad tribal tattoos and mohawks. And of course, he had the uh, the shorts with the flames on and the beanie with the flames on, which I'm sure was very cool back in 2001. Yeah. Uh, you know, doesn't necessarily hold up today, but he would come out to Limp Biscuit. Yeah. And it was just so of its time. Yeah. Um, and, and at the time as well, the UFC had sort of just been taken over by new owners and they were really trying to make it something cool and they had the walkouts they had like almost pro wrestling style walkouts with big big screens and yeah. flames going off and fireworks uh and tito ortiz walking out to break stuff it was just perfect yeah uh for what it was at the time um but like i think kind of moving on from that like anderson silver coming out to uh ain't no sunshine and it's just it's not a fight song at yeah. all you know it's not something that you would think about you know is getting you in the mood getting the adrenaline going but it just personified like how calm he was and, yeah. and how confident he was in his skills that he would just stroll out to that. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, you know, hearing it live in an arena, it, it genuinely does send shivers through your bones. Yeah. Um, and I guess another one would be, uh, there's a guy called Yoshihiro Akiyama who would come out to time to say goodbye. Yeah. And again, not a fight song, but they would sort of bathe the arena in white light and uh, fantastic visual effects. Yeah. And and just hearing him like come out to this really just chilled song. It was, yeah. it was just a wild way to set up an atmosphere for a fight. Perfect. Did you catch, I mean, from, from the cage warriors days through to, to where he's at now as a global superstar, Paddy the Baddies walkouts are always good to Basement Jacks and uh, Heads Will Roll. That little hybrid mashup of that always seems to get the crowd going. But did you see, um, oh, what's his? Uh, it's, it's Peter Queeley, isn't it? Um, the uh, in Bellator, come, when he comes yeah. out to Zombie, did you see? Yeah. that? fucking hell, that was goosebumps. That was. Like, yeah, there was uh, there was one fight in particular. Um, I can't remember exactly who it was, but Queeley walked out first, and the crowd carried on singing Zombie while his opponent was walking out, and you couldn't hear his opponent's yeah. theme tune. Yeah. Um, yeah. Pete's Pete's a cool guy. Yeah. And you know, he's a guy who fights with his heart on his sleeve, wins some, loses some, but those entrances are absolutely epic. Yeah. Um, j just phenomenal in Dublin as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, reminds me of like when McGregor used to come out to Foggy Dew yeah. uh, in Cage Warriors uh, and, and then that first ever 
UFC Dublin. Yeah. And he was he came out to a mashup of Foggy Dew and the Notorious by Notorious yeah. B.I.G. And uh, yeah, just just once in a lifetime moments. Wonderful. Well, let's take you back. First song you remember hearing, please, Brad, that you had an emotional response to. Um. I really struggled with this one actually because there, there was a kind of a few over the years. Um, I do remember getting very into uh, everything I do. I do it for you by Brian Adams, which you was could not. In... It was in your ear holes for sixteen weeks at number one, mate. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, I remember. I remember pestering my nan until she bought me the uh, the cassette single of it. Um, but I don't know if I actually ever, you know, it wasn't particularly emotional. I think I just just liked it as, sure. as a kid. But uh, the one I've gone for is a song called Keep Talking by Pink Floyd um, from the Division Bell album. And there's a couple of reasons. Um, I think firstly, it was my first Pink Floyd album. It's a, oh, there, there was another that came out when I was a bit younger, but I was obviously too young to be, to be listening to stuff then. But this is the first album that I remember coming out and sort of being excited about it before it came out. Yeah. My dad was a huge Pink Floyd fan. And that really rubbed off on me. And I just remember him being really pumped about this new Pink Floyd album. Um, and it's not the best Pink Floyd album. It's not my favorite Pink Floyd album, but it was kind of the first one that came out that I was sort of able to listen to from start to finish as a new Pink Floyd album and, and just loved every single track on it. Um, the reason that I chose this track in particular is that it opens up with uh, a really poignant speech by Stephen Hawking. Uh, and he says something along the lines of, I'm going to try and get this right. Um, for millions of years, mankind lived just like the animals. Then something happened that unlocked the power of imag our imagination. We learned to talk. And I, I just found that really like, wow, that's a really kind of like sort of deep and meaningful thing. Yeah. Um, and language has always been a huge part of my life, either as a writer or, or a commentator. So it, 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 even as a young kid, well, I was probably only about 10 when that album came out. It just kind of really stuck with me. But the main reason it stuck with me was that my uh, my late uncle at the time had motor neuron disease and he had a voice box okay. uh, and sounded exactly like Stephen Hawking. Sure. And at the, at the time as a kid, it was like, it was a bit embarrassing. And, you know, I, I think, you know, sort of attitudes around disability have, have changed massively, uh, you know, since, since I was 10 years old. And, you know, it was always a bit like, oh, I don't really want to kind of talk about this. And it was a bit embarrassing sort of thing. So to hear that on a on a record, which I thought was absolutely fantastic, was pretty cool. Um, and then he used to let us play with the box when we were around there. So I used to type the Stephen Hawking quote in and make him say it. it was fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> um that's quite heavy music for... I mean, Division Bell come out, what, 90? Maybe 91? 94. 94. Oh, 94. right. Oh, okay. Um, how old would you have been then? I was 10. So I, I would have been 9 or 10. That's intense music for a 9, you know, or a 10-year-old to be listening to, Pink Floyd. But you'd already been kind of, sort of, you know, you'd been exposed to Pink Floyd quite a lot in, I presume, in the dad's car. And, uh, right. And so what you felt this was like the first time that you sort of owned a bit of Pink Floyd in your own right, rather than it sort yeah, of being... Yeah, absolutely. Like, sort of, like my, my dad, uh, my dad's favourite Pink Floyd album is Wish You Were Here, mm -hmm. and obviously Dark Side of the Moon and um, The Wall. He, he went to see The Wall live, which I'm incredibly jealous of. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this was like, this was the first sort of new one. And like I say, I just, I just remember him banging on about Oh, this album's coming out, and it was kind of a really big thing when it actually dropped, and yeah. like he went and got the went and got the tape on the first day, 
um, and I listened to it so much in in, uh, in the van, and I, I I got a copy of it as soon as I could. So I had a little double tape deck on my um, on my stereo system. So I made a copy of it, and it was just in my Walkman constantly. Like the yeah. the amount of pocket money I must have got through on batteries just listening to that until it started slowing down was, yeah. was, was absolutely insane. But yeah, like I say it's just, um, it, it was my first Pink Floyd album. Yeah. And, you know, look, looking back today, there, there's obviously, um, there's a lot, you know, a lot of much better Pink Floyd music. And sure. what I didn't get at the time was kind of all, all the sort of bitterness in the lyrics towards Roger Waters. Yeah. 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 Um, but obviously, you know, it was quite funny to, to kind of pick that up, uh, you know, going back to the album, yeah. uh, uh, at a later age. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like Oasis, really. You go through stages of thinking that Liam Gallagher was the cool one, and then yeah. Noel was the cool one, and now Liam's the cool one again. Yeah, and I kind of went through that a bit with Roger Waters and Dave Gilmore, but yeah. you know, it is what it is. I I, I appreciate what they both did, and you, I mean, the Wall and Dark Side of the Moon are just absolutely classic pieces of music. Yeah. I, mean, I probably listen to Dark Side of the Moon once a week, start yeah. to finish. Yeah, it is a masterpiece. Um, tell me the the exact emotion that you got when you heard that for the first time? I think it was, uh, I don't know, maybe almost a bit of pride, really. Just like hear, hearing something like that and just being able to relate it to my uncle. Yeah. And it was like, wow, this is actually, like, this is actually really cool. It's not something I need to be embarrassed about or keep quiet. And then I remember, like, you know, sort of playing the, playing the tune to people at school and you know when you'd have like a non-uniform day and you could take stuff in and someone would take a someone to take a little boom box in and yeah. I put this song on and I'd be like oh my, my uncle's got one of these yeah so yeah I guess the emotion was sort was 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 more pride than anything else oh that's 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 wonderful um where was growing up where was home so home was originally Manchester um from greater Manchester lived there till I was 13 and when I was 13, my dad got a job in Holland and he worked out there for about six months on a contract. And at the end of it, they extended it and then they were going to extend it again for another year or two years or something. And my mom was just, I didn't want the family to be split up. And obviously, you know, me sort of entering the terrible teens and my brother four years behind me, she didn't want that sort of a situation where my dad was like flying home every other weekend and not yeah. there during the week. Um, so they just very quickly made the decision, I think over the space of about two weeks to sort of up sticks and, and take us all out there. Um, my dad worked for Shell at the time and there was a, a huge, uh, Shell facility over there. And also it wasn't too far away from, uh, the Hague. So you've got all the European courts and the embassies and stuff. So there was a British school and an American school, uh, just outside the Hague um so we went to the british school so it, it was quite good in the fact that we still got like all the british curriculum um but then you know being able to go to school in a different country and experience that and with it being like an international school as well there was kids from like 60 odd different countries yeah so like for me going from like a pretty crap rough school in a shitty part of manchester it was daunting because it was like okay now you're going to school with all these rich kids and ambassadors kids and stuff and i'm like how am I going to deal with this? I'm just yeah. not going to fit in at all. Um, but then getting there and realizing that kids just don't really care about stuff like that. Like yeah. you bond over music, you bond over video games, you bond over sports. Yeah. And it, it was, it, for, it, it went from being like 
sort of really like re- real trepidation to just being like, well, you know what? Actually, I can I can walk into any room anywhere on on the planet and have a conversation with someone and never feel like I'm any better or worse or or, or anything else. So it, it was a big eye opener in that regard. Like the trepidation disappeared uh, pretty quickly, and like I say, the experience of like getting to go to a different country and, and experience a different culture quite early on um, really. Set me up, I think, still anymore yeah. <laughs> all over the place. So uh, I, I think that's probably come from there, I guess. Yeah. So just, you know, one of the skills that you said that you, I guess you took from that was the fact that, you know, to this day you feel comfortable walking into a room and, and, and having a conversation with people. That, that might just sound like a sort of gentle little sentence, but that would also be terrifying for a huge amount of people. And, and and I'm confident now having this conversation now, but I couldn't walk into a room of strangers and um, and feel comfortable and confident enough to just you know throw myself in the mix. Um, did you always have that kind of confidence, or do you think that come from you know moving schools at such an important age as well, 13, when you you almost found your group of friends, you you know you you you're starting to really form who you are, and then up sticks and you move to another country, let alone another school. Um, do you think that's that gave you a, an inner confidence? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Yeah, I think so. Like, I'd always been quite chatty and quite talkative as a kid. And, you know, I always made friends quite easily and had, like, had lots of different groups of friends. You know, friends in school and friends from stuff out of school. Um, but yeah, certainly moving over there, like really helped with that. Cause like, I guess like my, my sort of main group of friends were like sporty kids. Cause I was like doing a bit of sport back then, but then like musically I was getting into like rock and metal and stuff like that. So I used to wear a long black leather trench coat and hang out with all like the goth kids. Yeah. But then I was also into video games and stuff. So I used to hang out with the nerdy kids and yeah. I just, yeah, I've never, it, it really helped sort of like knock down any, any barriers that I had because when I got there, I was very much like, I don't want to talk to anyone. These people are better than me. These people are, 
you know, going to know things that I don't. Like they're going to be smarter than me. Um, and then you just realise, like, you pull it's, that? Just, it's all in your head. Did you? Did that come from going out there knowing that you'd come from a, you know, a working class background in in Manchester? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, there, there was a a really a really odd experience, and I think it really it made me quite cynical of life. Actually, when I, when I very first moved over there, just before I'd left, we had a um, like a recruitment day at my primary school in Manchester. Uh, I don't know if recruitment day is the right word, but basically the armed forces sent a lot of people. So there was army, navy, and royal marines, I think, and they showed us all these videos and. It was basically like videos of like tanks shooting things and people firing machine guns and uh, trying to, you know, recruit people into the cadets to join like the Royal Marines and infantry and stuff. And then about two weeks after I started at the school in Holland, which is a, a, obviously a private school, they said, oh, we've got the armed forces coming in to do this. You know, what's it day? And I was like, oh, I've already seen this. And then it was completely different. It was all about like officer training and, and I was just like, you pieces of shit. Like yeah. this, this is like, this is genuinely awful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, that really kind of, that, that really made me think. And, and it really like, it gave, it gave me, a, I think probably a healthy sense of cynicism. Yeah. Um, but like I say, like, you know, my, my, my experiences with the actual people, the actual kids there, uh, were absolutely fantastic. And you know, I think it, it helped that, you know, there were a lot of kids from working class backgrounds there too, like a lot of the teachers' kids, um, like so, if you were a teacher over there, your kids got to go to the school. Uh, so there was there was enough kids who'd had similar backgrounds to me that I could kind of crack on with. Mm -hmm. But then, like you say, you know, as a kid, there's a lot of equalizers. Like we all play the same sport, we all play the same video games, we all listen to the same music and get up to the same mischief. Uh, you know, whether whether your parents are super rich or whether they're not, or whether you come from a working class background or or whether you're the Nigerian ambassador's daughter used to give us lifts around in uh she used to give us lifts home in a, in a limousine. Um I wasn't all bad then. <laughs> No, no. I mean I only lived about I only lived about a two minute walk from school, but it's not an offer you turn down really, is it? Do you no. want to hop in the back of my limo for a lift home? Yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> Tell me the song that soundtrack your time at school, please, Brad. I think I think every kid at some point or other needs to have a record that is going to uh, deeply annoy or upset their parents. And for me, that was Mechanical Animals by Marilyn Manson. Mm. Um, and I guess like the big song off that was Rock is Dead. Um, like, so I got kind of really into Kiss. I love the visual element of Kiss and the theatrics and the stage show. And I guess Marilyn Manson was just sort of that push to the extreme. You know, obviously he, you know, he had a wild image and, and a wild stage show. And I remember... I remember a couple of kids sort of having some Marilyn Manson stuff at school. And I remember being sat with my parents and there was, I think it was like an MTV awards show that he did. He played Rocky's dad at, and he had uh, a cross made out of TV screens that was on fire. And it was all very, you know, very extreme, very over the top, very, uh, I mean, literally just parent bait. Basically yeah. it was just meant to, uh, meant to, uh, to annoy people's parents and, and for kids to buy it, to annoy their parents with. And uh, I just remember my mum and dad sort of looking at me, watching it, and thinking, "Oh God, he's not going to start listening to this, is he?" Where have we gone and, wrong? Uh, <laughs> my mum, my mum says, "Oh, what, what do you think of that?" Then I was like, "Yeah, it's really good. It's really good." And uh, about a week or so later, I said to my dad, um, "I'm going to go and get the uh, the new Marilyn Manson album." 
And he goes, no, you're not. I don't know how old I was at the time, maybe maybe 14 or so. And uh, and he goes, listen, he goes, I don't mind you listening to it. He goes, but you play your music too loud. Your little brother doesn't need to hear all that nonsense. And your mom doesn't need to hear all that nonsense. And it was really weird for me because I was like, well, you let me listen to Hand of Doom when I was about eight. Yeah. You know, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like song about a guy taking heroin, uh, but we can't have Marilyn Manson. So I uh, I was a bit annoyed about that. So I went and bought it anyway and thought I'd done a really good job of hiding it uh, in the CD rack in my bedroom, but he found it and I got a bollock him. Um, but <laughs> about about three weeks, I think he was more annoyed that I bought it and he'd said no than yeah. me actually buying it. And then about two or three weeks later, I, uh, I went into my bedroom and it was there stuck in the top of the CD rack. So he put it back in. So oh. I think that was sort of, it was sort of a silent truce. But I just, I just remember it being like sort of my first like rebellious record purchase, yeah. I suppose. And it was a bit, a bit naughty and a bit out there. And, and I just loved like the whole, like the concept of it. So like you, mm. it came in like a blue plastic CD case and you could take the inlay card out and turn the pages around. And if you inserted them back in, it showed up little bits of text and stuff yeah. that you couldn't see through the naked eye. I just thought that was really, really cool. And just the whole, like, it was a concept album about an androgynous alien mm. that had come down and become a rock star, which my mom embarrassed me with later on by saying, yeah, David Bowie did that about <laughs> 35 years <laughs> yeah. ago. And you've got that somewhere in your record collection as well. So I was like, no, yeah, never mind. Uh -huh. But yeah, I just, I don't know. It's a weird one now. It's obviously one of those situations whereby he's uh you know he's been accused of some not very yeah. not very nice things in, in recent years I, I, I to my knowledge he's not he's i don't think he's been in court over any of I it i don't think um, so no but you know obviously it's, it's it's not not a pleasant thing to hear and then but it's weird because it's like you know it, it's, it's it's still your memories growing up listening yeah. listening to that kind of stuff um you know, there, there's there's plenty of people that have done horrible things that have produced great art, and I don't think there's a right answer to that debate. You know, should you se separate the art from the artist? I think it, it comes down to to personal choices, Completely. and you either take every case on his merits. Completely, um, I, I I couldn't agree more. And and I think as somebody that was much older than fourteen, uh, but was DJing in 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 you know an alternative club and and seeing the impact. Like way back when, Sweet Dreams, the first sort of breakthrough track, I think maybe, and then, you know, that was getting traction because it was obviously an iconic cover, but then they dropped Beautiful People and it's like holy shit, and you see the video to Beautiful People and it's like wow, this is this is fantastic. And being someone that grew up listening to like Nine Inch Nails and Bowie, you could see like oh he's got a bit of that and he's got a bit of that, but woo, just look at him, he looks incredible, and. And I think it was about 1996. Um, at the time, I was in I was in a band, and we got took into this record company office, and they were, they were sniffing around us. And it was, oh, are we going to get signed? Are we going to get a, a record deal? And we just was six lads with long hair that 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 made you know rock music. And I just remember the guy just going, "Yeah, look, you know, I like, like all the songs and stuff." And uh, but to be honest, it's like. If you're into rock and you're young, you're going to want this. And he just held up Kerrang! And he had a picture of Marilyn Manson on the cover. And I just thought, he's right. 
And it's like, if you're young, you want, you know, if I was lucky that I caught, when I was sort of 14, the Beastie Boys come out. So it was like the most shocking thing ever. And it was like, this is amazing. This is, this is going to piss my parents off. And this was my, it was my punk. And, and every generation gets that. I, I, I worry in this generation where, you know, people have got Ed Sheeran and Adele. It's like, there's got to be something out there that, 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 that I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. I'm just far too old to know. But, um, I'm, I remember coming home with, I, I think it, it must have been Kerrang, and it, it was uh, Queens of the Stone Age uh, were on the cover. Yeah. And it was Josh Holm and Nick Oliveri on a train track just covered in fake blood. Yeah. And I just remember my mum saying, what is this that you're reading now? I was like, oh, it's a great, great band that I've just started listening to, mum. You've got, you've got this to look forward to. <laughs> Nick Oliveira didn't even need the blood. He looked insane, whatever. Anything he ever done, it was just like, that guy, he's walking very close to the edge <clears throat> um right okay well let's move let's move on to uh to track four tell me about the first album uh or the first record you remember buying from a record store please brad so yeah this was an interesting one i had to really think about this because i remember i remember getting my first my first pay packet from a paper round that i did and going straight to a record shop and buying just the three oddest rec- like oddest combination of records yeah. you could think of. I bought Nevermind. I bought a two CD jungle compilation, mm-hmm. uh, which I think I only kept because it had uh, Chai FX original Nutter as the oh, first track, okay. and everything else was rubbish. Uh, and I bought Enter the Wu Tang Thirty Six Chambers. I'm not being and funny, like, but that's three bangers right there. <laughs> I know, but it's just the, it's just a wild combination um, <laughs> to get them all together. Uh, but uh, but I, I was like, was that the first one that I bought like with, with my own cash? And then I remembered my my dad's parents moved to the Isle of Man, and we used to go. We used to have to fly from Holland into uh, into Manchester, and then we'd drive and get a ferry. And the ferry had a little gift shop with music and hat and sweets and whatever else. And I bought Fat of the Land by the Prodigy. I must have had some pocket money, and. It was a weird one because I remember Firestarter coming out and absolutely sacrilege to say something like this now, but I just didn't rate it at all when I first heard it. I, yeah. I don't think I'd really heard much Prodigy before then. Um, I, I was like, yeah, it's all right. And I think it might have like knocked something that I did like out of the top 10 on top yeah. of the pops or something. So maybe I sort of harbored a little bit of animosity towards it. Um, but then Breathe came out and absolutely loved that. My dad absolutely loved it. And I think, I don't know if it was around his birthday or Father's Day or something, I tried to buy it for him in Asda and then they wouldn't sell it to me because it had the parental advisory sticker on it. So I had to go and get the old man to uh, convince them to let me buy this uh, this single for him. Uh, and I remember putting it on in the car and it had a very explicit uh, live version of Their Law yeah. and Poison as the B-side to the single. And I, it just blew me away and I was like, I need to hear more of these people. So when I saw Fat of the Land, on this ferry to the Isle of Man, it was uh, yeah, it was an, in, an instant purchase. A great, a great way to spend uh, seven ninety nine or whatever an album cost uh, back then. Absolutely. But I mean, I listened to that album. I've not listened to it for a while actually. Uh, and I was thinking to myself the other day, as soon as we finish this, I'm putting that on. Yeah. That's going to be my uh, that's going to be my Monday afternoon. But I guarantee, like even having not listened to it for a while. I can, I can, I know every lyric to Diesel Power. I oh, can sing the whole thing. I was literally about to say, I played Diesel Power on Friday and like at my club, and it still sounds phenomenal. 
it's great isn't it so you know you've got that kind of like industrial dance music diesel power is like a bit of a rap song you've got fuel my fire which is kind of like a punky mm. guitar driven there's, there's there's just nothing bad on it yeah and that that you know everyone even with your favorite albums there's one that you might skip but for me this is this is like a no skip album like yeah. i could listen to it start to finish never get bored of it and uh i mean when you're stuck in the Alan man for a week you need something like this to get you through yeah. so oh mate we're, we're essex finest mate we're very we're very proud of them down here um and and yeah i mean amazing to see that there's there's going to be more um Prodigy stuff happening. Um, I think it was only last week was the anniversary of Keith's passing, which was obviously like terrible, terrible when that that happened. And you know, we talk about Marilyn Manson being an iconic front person for you know for a band. Is there anyone more iconic in the nineties than that that kind of vision of Keith with the two green little mini mohawks and you know just losing his shit on stage and it was just phenomenal did you ever catch the prodigy live i didn't you know and it, it, honestly one of my biggest regrets because I, ha I had a few opportunities to go and see them over the years and just through various things never got round to it like the past sort of 15 years for me like a lot of my weekends were at fight shows yeah and when i get a weekend off like you you kind of just want to sit and chill and I, yeah yeah i passed up i passed up the chance to go to quite a few gigs over the year but there's there's nothing that upsets me more than, than not going to see uh prodigy live oh. um I'm, I'm gonna try and get to one of the shows that they're doing now but yeah. obviously i'm sure it'll be fa absolutely fantastic but would have loved to have seen keith like i was never bo i was never bold enough to actually shave the middle out but i yeah. did have a spiky double mohawk that i dyed different it. colors at one point um yeah what a guy and, and i got to say as well fire started did grow on me obviously it's, it's absolutely <laughs> yeah. fantastic you know what i was thinking back then well you mentioned poison and their law and i was so lucky that i got to see them at v97 the year this album dropped and it was it felt like for us they were it was their homecoming they'd made it and they're playing in their back garden in Essex and when they play Poison to this day I've never been at a gig where I've experienced anything like what I experienced when they play Poison I've never seen a field bounce in unison the way it did and and that Fat of the Lamb was that and it's an incredible record but there's something about Poison that's the bridging song for me when like all the stuff on Jilted is still really kind of ravey in places like Voodoo People and No Good Start the Dance, all amazing songs. But I think Prodigy, uh, sorry, Poison is where you've got that hip-hop drum beat, which I think for me just seemed to just unlock something for Liam to really just experiment more with his love of hip-hop. And you hear that on Diesel Power more than anything, really. And just them huge hip-hop breakbeats, but with just like fucking huge guitars and, and just bleeps and tweaks. It's like... And it... And the thing is with electronic music, I find, is it dates so quickly because it's all based around technology that, you know, it's constantly evolving. Yeah, I think there's records, and I think Fat of the Land is one of those that, I mean, that's what, 20, nearly 25 years old? It's something about that, isn't it? Um, could come out today and everybody would still be like, what is this? It's it's sits it sits somewhere like you know out of time and uh, it's it's a magical record. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. 
They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Cool. It really is. Right. Let's go clubbing. Tell me the song that soundtrack your years clubbing, please, Brad. Yeah, I've I've had like had a few different phases when I when I was clubbing a lot. Um, growing up in Holland, like there's a big bar culture over there, so I was like I was more of like into going to bars. Like the legal drinking age over there is sixteen, so like we were going to pubs and that when we were about fifteen, and yeah. getting into nightclubs was a bit harder. As you have a national ID card in Holland as well that you have to have, and that's pretty much the only ID that they accept in clubs. What they did though was that it was like a sort of a, a laminated card, like a you know with a with a sort of sort of plasticky cover on it. But then they printed your details on top. So if you were born in 1984, you could scratch the four with a pin and make it into a one. So managed take to take the boy into... out of Manchester, can't you? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Where there's a will, there's a way. <laughs> yeah, so, so yeah, so like, and the, and obviously the, the the club scene over there was very like, uh, very trancy, uh, very housey. Problem for me was my parents were going through a bit of a club renaissance at that time as well, and I, I bumped into them once in a nightclub, and then never wanted to go to a nightclub again for the rest of my life because bumping into your mum and dad when all your mates are there is just you know just not cool. So I kind of like, I kind of stuck to the bars, but when I would come back to Holland to see all my, uh, when I come back from Holland, like in the summer holidays and the school holidays to see all my Manchester mates, they were really into like the whole indie scene. And there just wasn't any of that uh, in Holland. Like it, the, the, you know, they never really got past like Oasis and stuff. And, yeah. you know, there's, there wasn't really anywhere you could go and listen to uh, Stone Rose and the Happy Mondays. Um, so I've just not really heard much of that stuff. Um, and then I went to uh, a place called Fifth Avenue in Manchester, which uh, I think it's unfortunately gone now, but it, even before it went, it, it just became like a standard student club. But back in the day, it was like a proper indie type place. And um, you could get a Red Bull and vodka for a pound. A beer was 50p. Uh, so what you do, you just get a pint glass with three Red Bull and vodkas in three quid get on the dance floor and i just remember being on the dance floor and hallelujah by happy mondays coming on the club mix and i was just away with the fairies i was like oh this is absolutely fantastic because it's like it's a night it's a nice beat but obviously like being used to like sort of trance and house and stuff being a bit faster it was nice to just have a little yeah bob around dance and like just a really you know, everyone in a you know a re- really sort of friendly atmosphere and, and to be honest like I don't even think anyone was like doing any pills or anything. Cause yeah. it, it, it was genuinely a young person's club and yeah. a, you know, a, a student club. It wasn't really like a hardcore sort of clubbing or, or, or raving type place. So with that in mind, the fact that the atmosphere was just so fantastic and everyone's hugging each other, putting their arms around each other. Um, and yeah, every single time I went back in, in, in the school holidays or the summer holidays, I'd always round the guys up and be like, you've got to take me to Fifth Ave. And yeah. they, of course they went every weekend. So it was nothing special for them. Yeah. But for me, it was like, let's go. Like I, yeah. I absolutely loved it. And again, it's, it's, it's one of those songs that I still listen to this day. And uh, it's, it's just got a lot of very, very 
happy memories of being able to go back and, and see all my old mates that I kept in touch with. It's such a banger. And I think it's up there with, with, with intros for me as well. Just that scream from Rowetta at the beginning and then just like the, 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 the sort of is it Gregorian chanting or whatever they call it? Uh, and, and then obviously the, the it's, it's Weatherall, isn't it, that does the, the, the club mix. And it's phenomenal. And I think there's never, ever been a documentary about Mancunian music that hasn't used that in the opening credits because it just encapsulates... As a as a lifelong Stone Roses fan, and I'm smothered in Smith's tattoos, there's something about Hallelujah by the Mondays that encapsulates that time like really perfectly. That and Voodoo Ray, I think, like they're they're the two that just absolutely capture what people outside of Manchester, you know, in 1989, yeah. what they wanted. I, I, you know, nothing I wanted more than was to go to the Hacienda, you know, and 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 see this this magical club that we'd heard about that, you know. And uh, and it's been it's been really interesting speaking to musicians that 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 are DJed there or played there and, and and come through it and and it is interesting that you know they all sort of say there was a a point there where it was magical and like anything when it becomes a thing it then that generally can then come with a lot of problems because there's money available there and there's you know huge amounts of people there and and obviously it's well documented that you know it become quite a, a problematic place but uh the music that come out of there oh phenomenal none more so than hallelujah uh it, it was cool for me as well to like sort of go and and hear all that kind of manchester music and, and indie music and then take that back to holland because like, i guess i would have been in the sixth form at the time yeah. so we had a big stereo in the common room and sort of me and my mates were like in charge of the stereo basically so i'd go in and then like put all this cool music on that i'd heard that hadn't come out in holland or people just didn't know it yeah um so it, it definitely earned me a few a few uh cool points in the common room which as yeah. we know is the world's greatest currency when you're a kid absolutely mate absolutely well with that in mind let's uh let's go back to manchester um or are we going to go back to manchester i don't know tell me the favorite song from an artist from your home county where's home so, so home is Drolsden in Manchester. That's like that's where where I was born, mm-hmm. um, where I spent like sort of the first thirteen years. But I think Manchester is a bit of a cheat code for this question because there's just so many you know great songs and great bands that that everyone's going to know. And, and personally as well, I I generally feel more at home these days when I go to Holland. Like I try and go back as much as I can. Yeah. Because um, I I just think you know when you're a kid you're a kid. And, you know, you, you do very limited things that are the same that most kids do. And I did most of my growing up in Holland. Like, I was there for nine, nine and a half years, I think, in total. And they're key years, uh, right? And Going at 13. They're yeah, key years, you know, th- 13 to early 20s. And that's when you develop, like, your taste in music and and, and your taste in a lot of things. Um, so I picked someone from The Hague. Uh, and it's, uh, it's a woman called Anouk and a song called Nobody's Wife. Um she, she had a really cool story. So she uh, she was sort of a really troubled teenager and she ran away from home a lot. And it got to the point where her parents basically like couldn't handle her and she ended up in sort of a children's home. And she used to leg it out of the children's home as well. And she went to this rock bar in The Hague, which is somewhere that I used to go uh, when, I, when I lived there. And it was mostly just sort of rock music, but every now and again, they'd have like open mics and little live shows and stuff and she started singing at, at this bar 
and some guy just discovered her and was like, right, we, you know, we need to pay it to your parents and, and get, you know, get some stuff signed. And obviously she didn't have any. Um, so it was a whole like convoluted process of, of actually like, um, you know, getting her a record deal, yeah. but she got a record deal quite young. And then I think in her early twenties, um, she brought out, I can't remember if it was a first or second album. Um, I think it was a second album that nobody's wife was on, but that was the first one that kind of got big yeah. and it was huge in Holland. Yeah. Um, and it's a real, like, it's basically girl power for people who wear baggy jeans. That's how I always describe it. It's a yeah. real, like, uh, it's a real, like rock anthem. You can throw um, it next to, I, you can throw it in the mix next to like skunk and Nancy, Couldn't you? It wouldn't sit out of place in, yeah, in yeah. that kind of arena. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, you know, I, th- I thought International Women's Day last week as well be be a be a good one to pick. But she's she's done loads of fantastic songs. She did another one called The Dark, um, which was which is really skunk and antsy. Yeah, and the music video to it is uh, inspired by Beetlejuice, so it's, it's a really good watch. Yeah. Um, but she's done like a lot more poppy stuff as well, and she's done some really nice ballads. Um, she, she's done a really a, a really nice uh, sort of acoustic ballad. Uh, about a first boyfriend um so she's got a real good range but nobody's wife for me like she just belts it out and i've seen her do it live and you know i don't think she ever sort of got any massive prominence outside of holland really uh i know that she went to america to try and get a record deal and it it all kind of fell apart but she's uh she's a national treasure in holland and, and she's still performing live now um and yeah, nobody's wife's obviously the show closer that that everyone loves, and it's one it's one of those that I always recommend to people. Like if you're into rock music at all, and you, yeah. you just want to hear somebody belt something out, nobody's wife's an absolute banger. Solid choice, mate. Solid choice. Last track. I want you to tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please. Yeah. So this is a song called Theremin by a guy called Ed Scissor. Uh, or Ed Scissor-Tongue, depending on how he feels on any given day. Um, he's a rapper from Cambridge in the UK. And uh, I actually used to work with him. Okay. And at the time, I had no idea that he was into music at all. We worked at a video games company in Cambridge. And it was one of those companies where, because it was a video games company, and it's kind of cool for young people to work at a video games company, Like they, they felt like they were doing you a favor by giving you a job. And everyone had to be super positive and, oh, God, I love this place and yeah. I want to be here for the rest of my life. And I was actually uh, I was actually Ed's manager and, you know, he used to do, like, performance reviews and stuff. And he'd be like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to spend the rest of my career here. I had no idea that he was basically starting this music <laughs> career off. And he had no idea that I didn't give a fuck about this place either and I wanted to be an MMA major. We, we, we both sat there bullshitting each other for a couple of years. And uh, it was it wasn't until after I left that um, a mutual friend of ours sent me uh, a clip of a, uh, a YouTube video of a song that he'd done with a guy called Dirty Dyke, who's another rapper from uh, that same group. He's also got some really, really good tunes over the years as well. Um, and I just started listening to his music. I was like, holy shit, this is actually really, really good. Um, he did an album about 10, 11 years ago now called uh, Better Luck Next Life. And it's probably one of my favorite UK rap albums. It's yeah. got some incredible songs on it. Um, he's just a, an excellent wordsmith. And, and as someone who's like spent a lot of time writing and a lot of time talking, I just really appreciate um, 
wordsmithery. I'm not sure if that's even a word, but yeah. it is now. Um, I, I, just, I I really enjoy like the the way he he sort of builds worlds in his songs. Um, there's a there was a song on that on that album called Max about um, about a, a drug addict. And it, it, I'm not going to lie, it's a really, really bleak song. And it's yeah. not kind of like a traditional format. You know, there's no choruses or anything. It just verse after verse after verse. Uh, and by the, the end of the five minutes, like you feel really grimy. Like you feel like you're inside Max's head. And, and, and just his ability to do that with words is incredible. And Theremin, I think for me, is probably my favorite song that he's done. Um, it's all kind of like, about sort of a, a I guess like a, a post-apocalyptic world that's breaking down and just the imagery that he he creates with it is, is yeah. fantastic you know it's not a song to stick on if you need cheering up or anything but it's it's, a, it's just a great one to listen to over and over the, the music's great um I think it was produced by a guy called Lamplighter who he's, he's done a lot of work with um but for me it, it's just the words and there's a bar in it where he says something like um right hand swinging like a bag full of spanners and I nicked it and used it in commentary um, and, and got it on TV for him. So he was very pleased about that. And uh, we actually got, it's all, we, we hadn't talked for, for years and years and years and uh, someone sent it to him while the so a, so a Cage Warriors fan was watching it and sent him the clip. And then we got back in touch and started talking and uh, I invited him to a show at the end of last year and he turned up and gave me a copy of his book. Oh, and uh, we had to get a little catch up, which, which is, yeah, just fantastic. But yeah, Theremin, Ed Scissor, check it out. It's a great song. Oh, we make it easy for people to check it out, Brad, because uh, we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany the pod with all of these uh, amazing records that we've spoken about today. Um, I want to talk about uh, Brad Wharton a little bit now. Um, I presume you're going to be, I mean, we're recording this on the 13th of March. Um, we're, we're in the week leading up to a, a, a huge UFC event uh, uh, this Saturday in London, and there's a huge Cage Warriors event this Friday. You gonna be uh, you gonna be doing your thing there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we we started our calendar last week in California. So it was the first time I've been out to commentate in America, which was pretty cool. Amazing. I got to live in the casino for a week. So considerably poorer than I was when I <laughs> when I went over there. But you know, them's the breaks. Uh, but yeah, big Cage Warriors event uh, coming up this Friday to sort of coincide with UFC weekend. And then we're in the BT Sports Studio the week after that. And then April, Manchester, Dublin, Rome in May. It's a it's a, it's a busy year for Cage Warriors. Uh, I can't wait. Looking forward to calling some good fights. Wonderful. And if people want to keep up to speed with everything you're doing, where's the best place to follow you, Brad? So I'm on Twitter and occasionally Instagram at MMABrad48 and Cage Warriors is at Cage Warriors. Uh, lots of good stuff dropping there. Promo videos if you're into if you're into the old fisticuffs, there's uh, there's definitely something for you. Wonderful. Brad, it's been an absolute joy. Thanks so much for coming on today. No, thank you for having me, man. Like I say, always uh, always enjoy uh, chatting records in, in my spare time. Absolutely love it. Thank you. Wonderful. I'm going to press stop. Don't go anywhere. Oh, love it. Love it, love it, love it. Cheeky mention of Frank Sidebottom. Uh, we got to talk about Essex Finest, the prodigy. We got to talk about the banger that is Hallelujah um, by the Mondays. And, yeah, just a lovely chat. And what a top lad. Um, so, huge thanks to Brad for giving up his time and coming on. Um, go give him a follow on the socials. And uh, and if you've never dabbled into the world of mixed martial arts, I know it's not for everyone, and I'm sure by now you all know that I'm a, I'm a super fan. Um, the Cage Warriors events 
uh, a majority of them are in the UK, uh, and they're wonderful. and uh, And I can't, I can't urge you, even, I can't urge you enough to go and uh, and check them out. And uh, so yeah, go check out Cage Warriors and uh, and give Brad a follow. Um, I'll be back next time. In the meantime, uh, go check out the back catalogue because there's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of episodes, all for free, with all your favourite rock bands and comedians and actors and uh, you name it they've been on like i say nearly 500 episodes and they're all to be enjoyed go to the website and it'll direct you wherever you need to go to access whatever you need to access off the beat and track podcast.com i'll be back next time be nice to each other in the meantime see you soon bye bye